Next up on Software App, we chat with Kamal and Ali, software engineers with broad and fascinating experience. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Software At on Design Talk. My name is Kat. And my name is Gary. And today we're chatting with Alex and Kamal. So we'll start with Kamal. Could you just say a few words about your experience and your background? Um, my name is Kamal. I've been working in software development for something like 30, 35 years. And I've been involved in many uh, software companies as well as and developing mainly uh, financial software. Uh, thank you for sharing. And Alex, could you tell us a little bit about your background and experience? Uh, yeah, so about three, three and a half years of professional experience, um, initially as a software engineer, and at the moment I'm working as a site reliability engineer, so very DevOps focused. Okay, and um, we'd like to discuss usability evaluation in the workplace. Do you use it in every stage of development or who makes the final decisions? Uh, I guess um, my experience is working uh, primarily on websites and marketplace websites um, as a software product. Um, so their uh, usability evaluation comes in the form of A-B testing. Um, so any any kind of improvement that you would think to put into the website um, would always have to go through um, hypothesis, determining on what would be the potential benefit, and then A-B testing where a portion of the users get the updated version and a portion of the users get the old version. And then you would compare um, user engagement and how satisfied people would be using the different versions. Um, and then with empirical evidence, you would um, ultimately choose one as to keep and the other one to throw away. Um, Kamal? My sort of background, as I mentioned, is sort of very, very early uh, software development before Agile, before modern technologies came in. Um, so in my day, when you are user testing, um, really the, the testing would be done by the programmers first, just to make sure the program hangs together. And then you would involve the user. And basically, the user had very little involvement. They would just do like a little run through, you know, does, it, does the screen look fine? Does, it, does the program do what they want? And they will then check the output to see is it really what they're after? And so that was very, very limited. Um, All right. So when you guys are coming up with a new idea about a product, has there ever been conflicts that arose between innovation and profit? And if so, how did you rectify those conflicts? Uh, in my experience, uh, balancing um, uh, innovation and uh, profit would usually come in the form of a cost analysis, both short and long term. So usually innovation would have a short-term cost with some kind of projected long-term payoff, um, whether it would be being on a technical edge that would enable you to, for example, scale better or um, offer your product to more customers in better quality. Ultimately, it comes down to assessing the, the cost of choosing either one. And um, so ultimately, it's a business. So people generally don't try to be too idealistic, at least most of the successful programmers, uh, and the focus is on being very heuristic about it. Most programming teams don't really have any involvement in the design stage, um, or didn't in my time, that um, you want to be, you know, we'd love to have beautiful creative software, but that's not the point. The point is you want your product up and running quick as possible, put into production, and in use as quick as possible. It's nice to have beautiful front-end screens, but if it doesn't do the job, it's no good to anybody. And I think it depends a lot on the kind of product you work on. So 
my experience on working in a startup like cultures and websites is it's the world of MVPs. It's, it's just minimum viable products everywhere. You're just trying to get business value out and getting user feedback and see uh, what direction the company should keep growing and what direction the, the software should pivot. Um, so typically long-term is something that's um, difficult to justify in general. Uh, stories, uh, I can't remember the details, but basically there were two competing companies and one came a little bit later and they saw what the first company was doing, but they decided to invest a little bit in tech, which would let them be much more agile in the future. And then uh, a very short while later, they were able to overtake the other company and every single feature the other company would project into development, they would be able to deliver faster and they were always a step ahead. So I guess that's the kind of innovation that you would see um, in business in terms of like investing into faster delivery. Okay. Can I just mention, if you think about who is your actual end user of your product, um, when you're working in large companies like uh, banking and so on, the end user is the other department. You, they don't need a beautiful, fancy front-end screen. If your end user is going to be a customer, for example, in banking, you have somebody using an ATM machine. They are your end user. So you have to consider uh, who you're designing for. The, the guy who's doing the, the back office data input doesn't care to have a pretty screen. They want to be able to type in the data very, very quickly. And that's really, I think, a lot of design in banking and finance has been about. Um, consider who is your end user. Yeah, definitely. And when you're working in a large company, do you find there's much conflict between the other departments? So, or do they leave you to it and let you just work away kind of thing? In the environments I worked with were usually pretty tech-driven companies. Um, they know that the technology and the software is the primary um, source of value to the business. And, and that would mean that a lot of the time, uh, the software engineers would have a lot of weight into decisions. Obviously, you know, business decides they want to offer a new feat, a new kind of product or B2B or whatever, then that would, you know, we would make it happen. But uh, when it comes to choices into how that looks or uh, what's feasible, what's secure, um, we would basically go to the non-technical people, would be the C-levels and so on, and tell them this is how this works. And if you want this, this would be the long-term cost that you would see. So you can make the choice whether you want to um, do some quick and dirty thing that you, you wanted initially, like an MVP, or if you want to have a bit of an investment so you can grow it more, uh, more securely in the future. For um, a large organization, uh, you are you will always have one department trying to compete for IT programming resources. Now, if you imagine uh, you have an accounting department, you have a sales department, your IT department doesn't actually produce anything of profit. Um, but what it does do is help the other companies make a profit. So, for example, if you're working in um, like a banking organization, you have uh, a department who are sort of dealing in stocks and shares, for example. So the IT will be pushed to help that department um, as a priority. If you are, um, for example, the accounting department, uh, for example, payroll, uh, very, very important to every employee in the company, but maybe running a payroll system doesn't actually produce profit. Um, so there is always conflict um, um, between other departments trying to get IT resources assigned to their project. 
when you're working in a uh, like an IT consultancy, the main product is the actual uh, software project. So for that case, everybody is working towards producing an end product, which will be uh, sold or marketed, and that will be generating profit. Whichever department is bringing more money into the company, um, I think that's one that actually got the IT resources assigned to them uh, first. You have to imagine that you know every department is a little army, and they want the most resources. And uh, I've been in board meetings where you have heads of department from every company, every department, and they are all trying to say why their product, their project is more important than the others. Because don't forget the the thing that they are trying to win is not just the well, basically you are trying to win the uh, IT resources to be assigned to your department first. So yes, it is very political, but then again, you do need somebody much higher, like a board level uh, decision to say which project will actually get that uh, resource. You know, which project do we do first? Do we do one that will you know, bring in the most money or do we do the one which the internal users are asking for, but it doesn't actually gain anything uh, profit wise to the company? Yeah, I would like to add as well is um, from my experience, this is uh, somewhat unique to banks specifically, uh, because they're very kind of old school style, very monolithic, and they have a lot of divisions and a lot of inertia in departments. So they, they try to fight each other for resources, because when they once they get the resources, they tend to be able to keep it for a long time. Just in general, is there always one big project going on and you have another few co-tasks kind of thing? I work in a more agile environment, so we wouldn't have like one major project. We would assess week to week, sprint to sprint. We would assess what's what would uh, be kind of the the priority, uh, like direct priority for business. From a more broad perspective, we would have quarterly uh, goals that we decide, and we would kind of try to plan around delivering those over time. And there could be multiple of those. And, you know, people would lead the projects and work in parallel, but you wouldn't be switching around uh, week on week. So most of the time we are working on trying to keep the system running. So there will be, for example, like a whole bug list of things that need fixing. And depending on which department shouts loudest, their work will get fixed first. Uh, So it's unlikely there will ever be one major project. Um, You will always be having like a new development and basically maintenance of existing code. Um, If there is a new project, it will normally mean that people are pulled away from the, uh, for example, IT programmers are pulled away into one new project. So uh, you will also have like a team leader, a systems analyst, a business analyst, and maybe one or two um, developers in that team. Yeah. So they will unlikely to be, Um, just one project. There will always be several going on. What approaches do you think have worked well for sharing or improving the knowledge and skills of people on the teams that you've worked with? Um, You can have tech lunches where people present uh, ideas. You can have very good documentation. Um, You can have one-on-one pairing sessions going over something or writing code together, or you can have maybe some very experienced developer giving you a lecture with a whiteboard. Um, But I would say, from my experience, the absolute best way for knowledge sharing 
is when you're working on some ticket or some working item and you just turn to your right and you you talk to the guy right next to you and say, hey, I'm not sure how this works. Can you explain this? And most of the time they're very happy to and you can have an interesting conversation and you learn a lot more than, uh, from what I find, you learn a lot more uh, for, than any other medium. Also much more proactively and interactively. Um, and I think that that knowledge in my experience sticks the best, uh, which I guess is... Um, a little unfortunate for the time being because of coronavirus and uh, a lot of people don't really have that experience and especially with juniors i think it's uh, uh commonly recognized that right now is a very difficult time to start in software as a junior developer because you really miss that interaction so how are you making up for that like with these junior developers and during the like during the pandemic i don't know um what like the industry standard at the moment is um, people try to kind of say like let's be more proactive on um, slack or whatever other like business communication platform you're using but like it doesn't work the same way Um, it's very different experience you know you type a question to somebody and then maybe half an hour two hours later they uh, see it finally and they respond as opposed to just turning to someone and saying hey what's up and they say the ceiling and you know it's you have a real conversation there in human uh, contact so I, I don't know how companies are solving that at the moment effectively if you imagine it people are very strange people um we are not business people we are very technically minded generally i've been in companies where i've worked as a freelance consultant where i am brought in just for a particular project um, my job there is to go in analyze the project do the coding, get it working, get it tested, and you know, give it to the company. They expect me to know everything that I need to know to do my project. So there is no knowledge sharing going on. I've worked in other companies where I am an employee. Again, IT people are not so aware of how the business processes work. We are not specialists in business, accounting, marketing, and so on. And what we used to do was other departments would hold a lunch and learn type session and they would invite people from IT, from accounting and so on, and just do like a, like a one hour uh, chat about you know, what they do, how the department works. And we tried to do the same for our IT departments, but we, we often couldn't get many people wanting to come to that because they think IT is very you know, too technical, too technically, technically minded. Um, so, you know, we, ID people, you give us something to do, we program it, we give you the program. And say you're on a consultancy job and you don't know what to do. How would you, how would you go about learning or would you bring someone else in? Um, if it's, for example, if it's a purely programming type role, you would be interviewed, you would not be given that job. As a consultant, you are charging a very, very large salary for a fixed term project. Yeah. Um, so has the software industry completely shifted away from the project development lifecycle or waterfall um, towards Agile and Scrum, in your opinions? Um, I think I think that depends a lot on the kind of product uh, you're developing. Um, so there's uh, obviously some merits to both. I guess uh, for the context that I've worked with, which is, um, you know, your software is a product and it's kind of continuously updating and, and it's very easy, like low cost to update, uh, like a website where you just upload the new version. I think Agile is uh, much uh, much more advantageous to the company because it lets you just choose priorities as they come within the business. 
uh, and there's no real cost of switching um, or changing gears, so to speak. But I imagine maybe on longer term projects, having the kind of, you know, the alternative project management systems uh, would maybe have a lot of benefit. I think it really comes down to how large your um, project is and what the timescale is going to be. Um, for example, um, sometimes it's a quick fix that you can go and go up to the IT manager, have a quick word of a coffee, and he will say, yes, okay, I'll get that done Friday. You know, so you have very, very sort of short time, short term projects. There are cases where you have a much longer term project and for example, a software company that I worked for, once they have shipped their product to the client, the client was coming back with many, many more uh, requests for changes and errors in the software that was being delivered. So what the, the technical managers tried doing was to control the testing stage in a lot more detail, um, like sort of come down a lot heavily on uh, user testing, unit testing, and so on before shipping the product to the client. Um, this was, I imagine, like an early part of what became, what was becoming agile technology and sort of more structured analysis. And companies were seeing, you know, there are definite benefits of controlling the project, having better project management and so on. I worked in a company they changed their focus that now, instead of just saying, we have a project, we will ask the IT people to, you know, here's a project, go off and do it. Um, they would take, they would create a team from uh, a business manager, somebody from a business uh, department. There will be a project manager who will liaise between IT and business. And there will be, for example, the, the guys who actually do the day-to-day -day work for whom the project is being written. So you have more people involved in the overall project, both from a business point and a technical point. And then we will try and break that down into little stages, um, have smaller uh, units of work, very much, very much like the Scrum technology now. So you divide the overall project into little pieces and maybe have smaller teams made up of business user and technical user and testing and so on. Many software developers don't like bug fixing. Uh, they think it's a tedious thing to do. Um, it doesn't bring in any money. It's part of like, for, for example, you buy a fridge and you have a guarantee on that fridge. Now fixing that fridge is not bringing any more money into the company. So maintaining software um, is like a, it's part of your uh, service level agreement, your SLA, that in your contract with your client, you say, yes, we will deliver the project by this time, but we also guarantee, let's say, three months of bug fixing. And you have to distinguish between what is a genuine error and what is a additional requirement. For example, often the users will say, well, it doesn't quite do what I told, you know, what I wanted. And then we go back to the original spec and say, well, it's not in the original spec. This is a additional requirement. So therefore, it's not in the standard contract. It's a new feature that we will charge you for rather than a bug fix. Um, my role in the last maybe 15 years was bug fixing. And I loved it. I absolutely love bug fixing. <laughs> it is a frustrating and someone keeps coming back with different requirements, maybe if they don't understand what they're asking for, and they, they think it should be automatically in there. 
Yes, this is one of the big problems that um, waterfall model and traditional software development had that trying to have a user who actually knows what they want and a programmer who can understand what the user wants. Because if you imagine there are two mindsets, the user knows what they want, the programmer knows how to develop what they want. Trying to bring those two people together, uh, often you would have a systems analyst in the middle or a business analyst in the middle talking between the two. Um, later, we started doing uh, formal documentation that if it's not in writing in your user requirements document, it's a, it would be an additional feature. Yeah. If, it's in, if you can say, yes, definitely I wanted this, it's not in my final product, we would say, yes, that is definitely a feature that we missed or we didn't put in for you. So it, it is that communication between business people who know the business very well, technical people who know the technical side very well, and trying to join them two together has always been difficult. Um, Alex, how, how do you cope with those new additions or fixes? I guess to kind of um, refer back to the original question is that um, I, I did have the impression that there's... Um, there's a kind of inherent tension between bug fixing and delivering new features because one is kind of um, covering your tracks and the other one is moving forward. And moving forward usually sounds more interesting because it's like discovering new possibilities and so on. But uh, in my first company, the experience I had was that we would work with a project uh, or a product owner. So the software team would have a product owner who kind of uh, owns a part of the software well software product uh, and they would handle liaising with like business people and executives and so on and they would determine ultimately what would be the most important thing to work on um, so as far as uh, software engineer perspective um, I guess we didn't really have that tension apart from who uh, who is the guy who's interested in doing the bug fix uh, this week for example I found uh, in my current company that I, that to me sounds like a pretty good approach for the way forward for the industry is, um, uh, so I work in SRE and typically the, that work involves both building a lot of new features and also bug fixing and supporting and operational tasks. And we want to not have bug fixing and support and operational tasks to interfere with products being worked on and, and delivering features. So in our company, we decide um, on a daily rotation, we have a different person uh, who's responsible for answering support requests uh, from, say, other developers in the company or anybody who has a technical request to the product we deliver. Uh, and also taking care of bug fixes that are not some, some we, again, not crazy features that take a long time to implement, but something like hunting down uh, through logs and so on. What, what was the issue? What happened there? Why did things break? And then trying to figure out what the fix is. And that trickled down from the um, operations team into the software development teams. So in our company, the software development teams also have an operator rotation. So every team has somebody who's a spokesperson for the day that deal with uh, communication uh, with other uh, technical teams uh, for any questions people might have, uh, and also for these kinds of bug fixes. So, um, you know, say you have five people in the team, Every every Monday, somebody is going to be looking at whatever bugs might have come in or any operational or administrative tasks. And I find 
why it's so good is because uh, it completely removes that tension of um, like conflict between pushing forward and also doing some some cleanup um, because everybody gets to have their time pushing forward and also everybody kind of participates in the team um, team responsibility for the things that they delivered already and and helping keep things clean yeah sounds like a good way of keeping things fresh can i just mention something a little bit about help desk in software development you have a uh, i worked as a help desk uh, programmer um that that was my one and only job for that company they have several different help desks all around the world um they had an asia help desk based in uh, philippines they had the London help desk and they had a New York help desk. The operations are 24 hours. I, I could get a call um, from the Vietnam office and as they are shutting down, at the end of the day, they are passing their error log to me in London of things which have not been fixed for that day. Now, if you imagine that if your printer is not working, okay, no, you think, okay, no big deal. You know, we can send somebody to have a look at that. That's fine. If you say, I made a transaction, it's gone missing, can you tell me what happened to it? That's very, very urgent. That has to be fixed. Um, so there is a structure to help desk uh, environment. Usually you have a first line um, operator who's most, mainly their job is to just log that call. Um, and then a second line who will then assign it to either a programmer um, or to an operator, to, to like somebody uh, technical, you can, you know, maybe your, your printer isn't working, we will send a technician to fix that printer. Or if that doesn't work, you have third level programming, uh, myself, for example, where the day's error log would be given to, for example, the London office, and for us to sort of look into more detail. Um, if at the end of the day I haven't fixed it, um, I would then pass my error log to the New York office and somebody in New York will carry on working on that error. And then if it's not fixed, it'll come back around to me the next day. Uh, I think it's nice to have things like Agile and Scrum and so on, on, you know, when you have the luxury of time, when your user is screaming at you why their report doesn't work, you don't have the luxury. You say, okay, I will get somebody on the case right now. So just on a personal note for the both of you, like what's next for you? I think this kind of field is you can't really predict the kind of opportunities you might find. Um, I think software is probably one of the best fields you can work in just because of the flexibility you have in what kind of work you want to do, whether you want to go and, um, you know, this year you want to go and work in a healthcare company, or maybe next year you want to go write a physics analysis software for CERN, or maybe you want to go be a contractor at a bank. Uh, and maybe you want to work in Ireland, maybe you want to go work in another part of the world where um, ultimately usually people have very similar skill sets and it's very easy to fit in professionally. Um, I totally agree that uh, IT is one of the few industries where you have the chance to go around the world. I've, I've worked in New York, I've worked in China, um, I've worked across Europe and mostly in London. I've worked in banking, I've worked for a TV company um, who did their daily programming like which soap they're going to show what time. I, I love programming. I love fixing bugs. Um, I love playing with data. So that's really what I would love to be, you know, carry on doing or retire. That's my other option. I think that's what we all want. So um, on that note, we just want to thank you so much. Thank you very much. For having me. 
Thank you for listening to Software App. Thank you to our hosts, Kat Wells and Gary Sanford with input from Alan Higgins. Sound editing by Kate Nolan. The music used for the intro-outro is Ambient Life by Goodbee Music. For more information, see the show notes and acknowledgements.